So welcome to another episode of Beyond the Red Bricks. This is Abhishek Kekani and I have Aditya Das as a co-host today. Our guest for today is uh, Mr. Ankur Kanaglekar. Ankur is an aviation enthusiast who believes the power of aviation can inspire generations and help tap new frontiers. He's optimistic of India growing as a world-class defense industrial base. Currently works as head India fighter sales, Boeing India. He has worked across USA, Europe, and India in the industrial, automotive, and the aerospace sector, spanning his career of over 20 years. Education-wise, he's done his bachelor's in mechanical engineering from University of Pune, followed by a master's in mechanical engineering from University of Cincinnati. He's a 2007 PGPX alumni from IIM Ahmedabad. In his personal time, he loves to travel. He's traveled to 27 countries, although that's taken a pause this year because of COVID. So uh, welcome to this episode of uh, Beyond the Red Bricks, uh, Ankur. Thanks a lot for taking time out and talking with us today. Yeah, absolutely, Abhishek. And uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity to come and talk to you. Uh, happy to have a chat and share any wisdom, if you could call that, <laughs> with you guys. Thanks for sure. having me. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Ankur. I think we are getting started. The first, uh, the first section that we wanted to cover and focus on was your career and profile. So if you can uh, give us a brief description about your current role and the kind of initiatives that you lead at Boeing, that would be very helpful. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I head the fighter sales activity for Boeing Defense in India. Uh, now, with respect to fighter sales, sales that you may be aware that there are two campaigns going on. There is one with Indian Air Force for 114 aircraft and there is another one with Indian Navy for 57 carrier bond fighters. So I lead the sales activities for these campaigns as those are called. Uh, these are probably one of the largest defense programs in the world in the in the aviation today that are going on in terms of just the scale. What do I mean by sort of leading the uh, sales activity? It is not just about uh, interfacing with customers, but it also involves managing the entire sales campaign. And the elements of all that are related to strategy and the execution of that sales strategy. But more importantly, it involves coordination with the Indian government, uh, the Indian armed forces, the US government, because the fighter sales typically happen in a government-to-government uh, -government deal. Uh, I'm also responsible for setting up the alliances, joint ventures, and partnerships in India, uh, which are related to this particular uh, aircraft fighters, fighter aircraft deal uh, that are going on. So from that standpoint, uh, we are getting, uh, me and my team are getting involved in the joint venture and some of the other activities with Indian companies. Uh, there is also an aspect around marketing and working very closely with media and some of the other stakeholders, which comes with these large uh, sales campaign. Uh, you asked about, you know, what some more information about the role. I would say it's pretty exciting role. Uh, one, because I was, uh, and I am extremely passionate about uh, fighters, uh, right from, uh, from my childhood, it was my hobby. And now my hobby has turned into a job. Uh, so nothing, nothing like that, right? I lead a cross-functional team, uh, an international team actually based in the United States and in India for these 
campaigns, so the people management uh, and all the aspects related to that. And obviously the joint venture. And to be, you know, very frank with you, uh, since we are in a, in a safe zone, when I started out, I thought it was uh, probably one of the most complex role, as you could imagine, just looking at the scale of the runs into multi-billion dollars, right? Uh, and sometimes they say that the defense sales tend to go so high some of these deals are as high as GDPs of some of the smaller nations out there. So leading a complex campaign where uh, there is you know, high level of visibility, but at the same time, it's pretty complex because of the bureaucracy involved and the, um, the cross-national interface. And it sits at the intersection of all what is happening in the geopolitics today. So understanding and working with that, uh, I thought it was, uh, it was quite exciting. Uh, so that's what I do. Uh, this is my probably fourth role in Boeing. And prior to that, as I mentioned to you earlier, I have worked on the civil aviation side, on the services side. Uh, before that, I also led the strategy and business development for Boeing in India. Uh, so that's that's all about it. Hope hope that helps. Yeah, yeah, Goya, that's really helpful. It's, it's great to see that you're able to turn your passion into work and like try and get a career in that domain. So that's really good to know and inspiring to know. I guess uh, moving on, uh, we also just wanted to know the trends that you see coming up in the aviation sector uh, over the last couple of years based on your experience. Yeah, uh, so when you talk about the trends in aviation, remember that uh, aviation is, uh, at, at I would probably split it into defense aerospace and the, and the commercial aerospace, which are uh, you know two very distinct branches, I would say. And the technologies, uh, they do overlap. Sometimes the technologies move from one sector to another, uh, but generally the technological evolution and the trends that we see in both of these sectors are, are fairly different. So now if you're specifically talking about uh, the defense, uh, there has been evolution happening on sort of two fronts. Uh, the first one is about what they call it is a next generation of air dominance portfolio of technologies that have been built. And these technologies revolve around stealth and advanced communication, networking, adaptive cycle performance. Uh, this is a new jet engine technology, unmanned and autonomous system that uh, many people are familiar with, just to name a few. And uh, so a so lot of work is happening here. A lot of investments are going in. And this is fundamentally, if successful, is going to change the way the air dominance uh, fighters look uh, in the future. The other trend that is happening, the second one, uh, is actually quite, quite interesting, the first one, as far as I'm concerned. And that is about the business model innovation regarding the uh, buying of the defense platforms uh, on the aviation side. And what is happening over here is instead of going to a single original equipment manufacturers, uh, there has been concept floated where there are portfolios of technologies that have been built by different OEMs. And because of the advancement in digital engineering, uh, they are trying to rapidly shrink the cycle of development of these platforms, which typically run into decades. And, and the idea is that you rapidly develop a platform, you rapidly bring in various portfolios of technologies that different companies are bringing in. So it doesn't happen that winner takes it all. And then you shorten the life cycle of how soon you're going to get to the next level of fighter technologies, right? Which obviously keeps you ahead of your adversaries. 
so the digitization of engineering data, system decision making, all that is expected to reduce the development time. And uh, this is something has started in the US and uh, in, in defense aviation, uh, certainly a, a very welcome uh, innovation from the business model standpoint. Now, just shifting the tracks on the commercial side, uh, which is where, as all of you are aware, because of the COVID-19 situation, the airlines are going through a uh, tough time, deep recession, and the priority really there is to uh, come out of the recession and more importantly, to instill the confidence uh, in uh, general public that it is okay and safe to fly. Uh, right, so a uh, lot of technologies in that relation have been developed in a short span of time or introducing the environmental impact. Now, when you talk about the aviation sustainability, the focus there is on uh, developing the technologies that efficiently make use of the airspace while optimizing the carbon emission and the footprint and obviously the noise. Uh, so a lot of work is happening in that area, but uh, the first priority is to uh, instill the confidence in the public so that the demand comes back right uh, so those are those are some of the thing i would say uh, trends as you mentioned uh, related to aviation um thanks ankur so i have a couple of follow up questions to that i think uh, yeah. which kind of brings back to the first two uh, answers that we have so i just want to understand uh, how does in your role uh, how does managing relations work uh, now where i'm coming from is something of the sort you know you're selling a very high end equipment to the defense um, you know the the defense industry of a country and certainly all different countries would have their own requirements of what goes with them and these are the oems that we work with and also there's an element of one upmanship that can come in because let's say that you have a very advanced fighter and you know a, a rival might have some other version of it so how do you kind of navigate this very you know tense geopolitical slash uh, relation you know the relations that you have in there uh, how does that fit into your role or do you face it or does it come up in conversations of that sort yeah absolutely i mean that is the key part of the role right generally countries buy uh, advanced military equipment from other nations when there is alignment uh, of those two nations on on a variety of areas right so the relationship and the geopolitical equation uh, sits right at the center of, uh, you know, fighter sales. And uh, as you rightly said, uh, the requirements for a nation buying the fighter versus the nation selling can sometimes vary, right? So the fundamentals of sales, they don't change in this role. The relationships still are extremely important, knowing your, your, uh, your customer and their pain points and how what you're offering is going to solve that uh, is, is obviously very important, just like in any, any type of sales. What changes over here is uh, really uh, the, the gestation of this particular sale. It's a long sales cycle. So you have to be in this to play long innings. This is not a sprint, this is a marathon, right? So from that standpoint, uh, you know, we, we tend to work on or work with various stakeholders on both sides of the system, uh, highlighting uh, the importance of the defense system that we are bringing in and how that is going to help uh, the country that is buying it, right? Uh, there is a lot of requirements around uh, localization or indigenization, not only in India, but in other countries where the fighters are sold. And that becomes a crucial part of this offer where countries tend to see themselves not as buyer, but as partners 
in building and uh, co-developing these technologies. Now, aerospace being a field where uh, the the it's a the entry barriers are very high, the gestation time is high, the, the initial investment required is very high. So, how do you still make sure that the company or the the countries that are buying the aircraft get their fair share of industrialization benefit out of this, uh, keeping in mind the technology release constraints and some of the other things that we have to follow uh, from the US side. So that's the trick and that's what makes this uh, whole job quite exciting and yet complex because you have to navigate these uh, issues at every stage, right? And from that standpoint, again, uh, your your ability to forge those relationships, your ability to understand the bigger picture, uh, your obviously understanding of your own products and how you articulate the advantages, uh, all those things become uh, very important. Thanks, Ampur. I just had a quick follow-up again. So initially you mentioned uh, there's some work that needs to be done right now on the commercial side because of COVID and the recession that's that like all the countries are facing. So we just wanted to understand, is there any change in the business model that you foresee coming up in the aviation sector on the commercial side because of COVID and any impact long-term or short-term that you foresee? Right. So uh, anytime you see a disruption of this level in any industry, I think it's fair to expect that uh, the structure of the industry is going to change, at least in the short term. Uh, now, uh, now the good news here is uh, the air traffic based on the past data continues to be resilient in spite of some of these disruptive changes uh, that come in. We have an example of 9-11. We have several other examples where similar uh, situation had arised. Now, again, nothing compares with COVID. Uh, we are aware about that. But uh, the demand for air travel across the world, which is tied to uh, the economic growth, especially in the developing world. And as the economies come out of COVID, uh, the, the travel will come back because, you know, the, the world is too globalized, too, uh, too connected to sort of go back few steps, right? So uh, we are uh, going to see in the near term airlines utilizing various means to uh, stay afloat because that is a priority. And what that means is you will see some business innovation around uh, seeing, uh, instead of selling seats, seeing this as an entire sort of a retail activity from end to end. Now, would that create more revenue stream that is to be seen? Obviously, there is going to be a lot of effort on keeping the passengers safe. And I explained about some of the technologies that will go on over there. But in the short term, you will see some innovative business model that to ensure that the route structure uh, is optimized properly, the airlines are operationally uh, balanced in the right way to go after that route structure. And more importantly, in their operations and in their strategy, they built enough flexibility because you know it's there's a lot, lot of uncertainty from month to month, depending on how the uh, cases go up or down and what, how that impacts the demand, right? Uh, what what also going to happen is there's going to be more focus on uh, services and particularly about the digitization and the tools that help achieve some of these optimization and flexibility that I described earlier, right? So there'd be more demand for those things because, uh, you know, 
the customers may want to get it right. And if they don't get it right, it will have a huge implications on their business. So uh, that may happen in the in the short term until the demand comes back. Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's interesting to know. And just shifting gears a little bit now with our questions. Uh, so the next question we had was, uh, you know, currently Boeing and Airbus are like the two biggest manufacturers globally for airlines. On your end, do you foresee local airline manufacturing picking up in India in the foreseeable future? Because technically it's a capital intensive industry and relies a lot on government support. So I uh, just wanted to understand your take on the same and what your views are. Yeah, so uh, I think what you mean by airline manufacturing is what you were hinting at aircraft manufacturing, right? Uh, in, in India, right? So, uh, so basically uh, from Boeing side, uh, we have embedded several suppliers from India into our global supply chain. Uh, we actually uh, more than billion dollar worth of products and services we buy every year from India that go into Boeing aircraft. So we uh, we already are engaged in uh, you know tremendous amount of uh, industrialization in terms of bringing these suppliers into the aviation fold. Uh, but when it comes to actually assembly of aircraft, you will notice that there are only a handful of locations and countries across the world where the manufacturing and assembly of commercial aircraft happens. And as you rightly mentioned, one of the reasons for that is high entry barriers, huge government support and long gestation time. But also these are the locations where there is a very advanced aerospace ecosystem that is developed, whether you're talking about Seattle or Southern California or uh, other places in Europe uh, and things like that. So for India to be on that map, I think there are some preconditions that needs to be fulfilled. And in my opinion, uh, top three conditions that needs to be fulfilled are one, there has to be significantly high demand of commercial aircraft that are to be used in India. And this is obviously tied to the GDP growth, which is tied to the passengers traveling and which, which then results into airline wanting bigger fleet, right? Uh, the second thing that is required is ability of Indian private and public sector industries to invest huge amount of capital to build this capability. And the numbers are staggering if you want to do it right now. Uh, so really the demand has to be there for it to make sense. And the third thing is, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the capability, right? So here you're talking about certain skills related to engineering system integrations uh, that need to be instilled into the talent pool, right? And this obviously requires a lot of focus, again, on investing in skilling, innovation, world-class manufacturing techniques and mindset mainly, right? So these three th things need to happen. And it's, a, it's a, uh, you know, depending on how things grow after COVID, uh, some of these things may come back. But the fair question, in my opinion, is to really ask is, uh, where does India want to play do we want to be the assembler of large commercial aircraft and rebuild something which has been done elsewhere? And by the way, it's going to require a huge amount of capital and demand to make that happen. Or would you rather leverage your capability in engineering and software and IT and play in niche areas which are going to uh, you know, come up quite rapidly in the aviation, right? So I'm, I'm referring to things like 
uh, avionics or the networked aspects of communication, uh, right? Uh, optimization of airspace uh, of the airport infrastructure, just to name a few things, right? And, and obviously the, the support, uh, the excellent support for engineering and design that several companies in India are involved in. So where do you want to play? Uh, that is, I think the question needs to be asked. I'm not suggesting one is better versus other, but uh, the cause benefit equation for both these options is very different. I hope, hope that answers your question. Uh, thanks, Ankur. I think I have a slight follow-up because if I'm kind of uh, looking at the, the aviation sector or the aircraft manufacturer, as you put it, play out right now, uh, would you think that uh, companies like Embraer or Bombardier are, are a bit more accessible avenues for uh, an Indian foray into this sector? Or uh... Well, I mean, uh, I mean, if, you, if that question, I hope, is related to a uh... Uh, baseline demand certainly right now is is uh, the 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 industry is going through some uh, distress this is not a good time yeah. so it's not, not not a good time to uh, check into that right but but to answer your question at a, at a broad level uh, look it is not always about having or filling your seats with a smaller aircraft it's an ecosystem so you need to have uh, access to simulators. You need to have pilots who are trained on that particular aircraft. And obviously the ground support equipment and the maintenance and MRO and all the capabilities around that, right? Now, if you bring an aircraft which has not been used before or which has a smaller scale, then you end up investing in some of these other aspects and the overall business model just doesn't work, right? So from that standpoint, uh, you know, the, the workhorse of, uh, of the airline on the single aisle and twin aisle. Uh, logically, that makes more sense for India, right? Now, there is a school of thought that as India grows in tier two, tier three cities, and uh, you get schemes like Udan, where new airports come up in remote areas where the runways are not long and the demand is small. Uh, can there be scope for uh, you know the smaller aircraft, right? Uh, frankly, the jury is still out on that. Uh, I think from the uh, from the demand side, that picture may sound attractive, but can you make money on that using uh, smaller aircraft? It is still to be seen. Does that does does that answer your question? Uh, sure, Ankur. I think it goes a long way in answering that because the economics of uh, flying and actually building planes is such a fascinating topic. I think we can have a few podcasts on that <laughs> itself. <laughs> So I think slightly to switch tracks over here and coming back into the defense, the, the yeah. fighter aircraft or the or that industry uh, of those uh, sort of things. I think one of the most anticipated and I think probably the biggest defense contract of all time would be the Joint Strike Fighter, right? Uh, so I think uh, back then you had the Boeing X-32 go up against the X-35, which became the current Lockheed Martin F-35. But there's also this, uh, you know, the Boeing uh, defense uh, presence in actually the Lockheed Martin F-22. So how do these relations work in, in this sphere that at one level you're competing uh, fiercely to be the top dog of the best fighters out there? And then again, at the other end, you're working with what would some, some would call your rival, in a sense, to, to actually build the best technologies you can out there. So how, how does this dichotomy kind of, uh, how, how can this be explained or how does this whole ecosystem work? Can you throw some light Yeah, on that? sure. So uh, so there are many such examples. The the two that you highlighted are obviously uh, quite, quite well known, but uh, it boils down to 
uh, I think the maturity of the ecosystem and the regulatory aspects of it, right? And uh, so from that standpoint, companies compete in certain arena. Uh, uh, they, they play by the book, uh, right? Uh, based on the regulation of that particular uh, nation. And in certain other cases, because of uh, the high investment required or some of the other factors where they want to come together and, and build something together because it is all about uh, you know, the competitiveness of that industry, right? When government buys, uh, most of the time it is a value-based buy. Uh, it could be based on the lower price. And if a company A cannot get there on its own, there is openness to go and partner with company B together as long as there are the right regulation and the Chinese walls are built between what is shared, what cannot be shared and how it all works, right? Uh, so it again, doesn't happen overnight. Uh, this has been happening in the US aviation industry for last more than 60 years, right? From the uh, later part of first world war days, you will find similar examples, right? The consolidation has happened where Boeing uh, itself has uh, sort of bought several, what we call as a legacy, aviation companies, uh, including Michael uh, Douglas and competed with, uh, with others out there. Right. So, so it's, it's that, that's how I think that maturity gets built as the industry goes up and down, it goes through the cycles. And then obviously the government has to play a major role in making sure that uh, everybody plays, plays by the rules. Right. So uh, it is quite common and quite fascinating actually uh, in a way where, you know, you're competing with somebody on, on a particular side of the business, but on the other side, you're actually partnering with them, right? But in the, in the end, I believe it, it brings the best in everybody because this industry is so fascinating. It is, uh, you know, the, the engineering and technology that needs to get developed, uh, you know, requires smart minds and the smart minds are everywhere. They're not only with Boeing or not only with Airbus. And if the ecosystem allows you to bring the smart minds together in a, uh, in a structured way, then I think it creates magic as, as we see on the examples that, that, that you shared. Thanks, Ankur. Uh, it's just the same thing again, right? It's one of the reasons why uh, people fall in love with planes and the, in the first place, and then this whole ecosystem that's built around it. Uh, again, it's just so fascinating, but I think we'll have to switch gears now and come to what I think might be um, quite interesting to the PGPX folk right now and probably the prospective PGPX folk who might join in the future. So my question is this then. You uh, did your master's in mechanical from the University of Cincinnati and then there was a nine-year gap between you coming back to the IIM Ahmedabad campus as a PGPX student. In the meantime, you were working at Altair, the SI Group, and I2 Technologies. So going from, from this track, uh, after a gap of nine years, uh, what, what made you think of the PGPX program as, you know what, this is something I need to do next, and this is where my future lies. So what was the decision process that you took after, you know, considerable experience and your education? So as you yeah, right. Uh, rightly explained that I worked in the engineering field after my uh, MS, uh, both in the US and in India. And I think really as I was working in supply chain, in automotive engineering and, you know, the crash testing related software for automotive, these are highly technical areas. I realized that uh, the business side 
uh, of that equation uh, excites me uh, quite more uh, than obviously uh, working on the engineering side. And, you know, with that realization, uh, you know, I thought that I need to get some formal education in um, on the, the business side. Now, I was in the U.S. at that time. Uh, I had decided that I did not want to stay back in the U.S. and wanted to come back to India. And uh, from that standpoint, I decided if I want to come back and stay in India, then uh, rather take uh, have that education from the premier Indian MBA school uh, because the knowledge that they would impart would be very relevant to the way the business is done in India. And uh, though with the globalization, there is a lot of commonality, but the, the way businesses are done across countries, that still matters. And from that standpoint, I came back and, you know, applied for uh, PGPX after, you know, working uh, for a couple of years uh, in India. And uh, that's how actually I got into the, uh, into the MBA program because I thought that's where I wanted to go. And uh, I, would, I would probably say that one of the best decisions of my life so uh, other than just getting the knowledge and the brand and developing relationship with peers, uh, PGPX really offered a path uh, to put the knowledge that I learned in the course uh, in the real world experience uh, by giving opportunity initially for me to work in a management consulting where you're trying to solve business problems for variety of clients. And I focus mainly on aerospace, automotive and industrial uh, because that was uh, again, very close to my heart. Uh, and then once uh, you know that I did for a few years uh, with my love of aerospace and experience in consulting in aerospace with variety of clients, uh, uh, mainly outside of India, I thought that this would be a, right thing uh, to move to an aerospace organization. And uh, that's how I applied to Boeing and got here. That brings us the full circle then. It's a fascinating journey that you just uh, outlined. And I think it will resonate pretty well with a lot of the folks out there who are, I'm sure, interested in the business side of things as well, and maybe finding their feet in what they really like to do and what they want to do. Yeah, I mean, I would I would also add that, uh, again, in, in my case, uh, the aerospace, as I mentioned earlier, tends to be uh, heavily engineered industry, right? Uh, it's a very technical, uh, it's engineers industry, rather. And from that standpoint, my higher education uh, and master's in US in mechanical engineering, uh, that that came very handy. Uh, even though I'm, I'm, you know, working on the sales side right now, as I mentioned earlier, we, what we are trying to sell is not a bunch of widgets. We are trying to sell extremely complex defense systems that cost many, many billion dollars. And uh, a good understanding of how the technology and the engineering behind the technology works uh, comes very handy when we are, you're, you're trying to sell, uh, sell these things, right? So I think the engineering background there definitely came handy along with the PGPX experience. Thanks, Nankar. That's uh, really fascinating. I think uh, maybe after this, we can take a stroll on memory lane, so to speak. Uh, how was your time at the IIM Ahmedabad and PGPX? Uh, since you were one of the earliest people to, one of the earliest batches to pass out, um, what, was your fondest what were your fondest memories over here, your professor, subjects that stood out to you? Uh, you know, and, and the things you got up to while you were here that kind of have made a mark on you uh, and you think upon. Wow, uh, you are 
uh, I need to refresh my memory over here. <laughs> it's been ages. But uh, <laughs> as, as you rightly said, uh, I think we were in the second batch. Uh, so from that standpoint, uh, the course was just getting stood up. And there were some teething troubles initially. Uh, to a certain extent, we experienced that. But the, my, I, I had, uh, you know, amazing one year out there. I think the uh, the time that I enjoyed most was actually uh, with my syndicate team, uh, along with obviously the class participation and other uh, fun things that you do. But uh, we had an amazing syndicate uh, group edge. Uh, we are still in touch. And the late night uh, meetings and working jointly on assignments and projects. I mean, we had amazing fun uh, doing that. Uh, in addition to that, I think the uh, certain courses, uh, they really came handy uh, even uh, in the real life after PGPX. I mean, one that I remember with Professor Jerry Rao, this was, I think, related to international business. Uh, I kind of live and breathe that life every day right now. And sort of looking back, I think how relevant it was uh, at that time. Obviously, I did not realize at that time, but now I do. Uh, uh, its implication of that, uh, you know, the knowledge and uh, the information uh, that we got through Professor Rao. In addition to that, I think loved courses around, obviously around strategy, but more around um, operational uh, efficiency, or sorry, operational management and supply chain and things like that. Uh, because a lot of that work I had done earlier, but there's always, uh, you know, new opportunities to learn. So I think overall, uh, it was an it was an amazing time uh the one year actually went you know too soon i would think yeah i think we are seeing that for ourselves right now <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are we are running out of time and need to make the most of it over here so uh uncle any any words for the people who might be kind of interested in this program who want to come in but are you know, unsure about the program or the this, this change in their careers or something yeah absolutely i think uh <clears throat> this is uh would be one of the best decisions you would make in your life. Uh, I think PGPX has a lot to offer. Uh, I understand the program has matured quite a bit over the course of last many years. And now it is a, uh, it was always a great brand, but now it is even better, right? And if, if you are looking at doing something different than where your current career trajectory is taking you, uh, this is the best entry vehicle for you to do that. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that you have to change your industry or line uh, when you come out of PGPX. I've seen many, many successful uh, people who have graduated and went back to their original industry or organization, and they're doing extremely well. Uh, but, but if you have in you to take a little bit of risk and try something new and while doing it, develop relationship for life uh, with some of the most smartest people in India, and obviously do that while you enjoy one year, then definitely this is the uh, this is the right program. Uh, it 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 certainly helped me, and uh, I just hope that whoever is listening to the podcast uh, thinks seriously about this program, applies to it, and hopefully they get opportunity uh, to join PGPX. Thanks a lot, Uncle. Uh, this was uh, really good to know. And uh, I think all the information that you shared with us about the aviation sector, about your time at Boeing, it was really helpful. At least for me personally, I think Aditya had some background about it. So 
But for me personally, I had no information or, or background. So it was like a very good learning experience. And the thoughts uh, that you shared about the PGPX program as well, I think it's, it's going to be very helpful for people who are seriously considering the PGPX program and uh, look forward to make a career transition or a change in career trajectory after the program. So, and I think Aditya and I, both of us would uh, just like to thank you for taking time out today and talking with us for this episode of Our Life Beyond the Red Bricks. So thanks a lot again, uh, Ankur, for taking time out. Sure. Uh, it, it was my pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me and hope to uh, keep in touch with you. Thanks. Same here. Thanks, Ankur. Thanks, bye.